If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 125 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. And if you love the resource that you get here at Highway to Health, consider becoming a health amplifier today. While this project is a labor of love, it requires funding to continue to build and stay true to our mission. You may have noticed we have no ads and are not bound by any corporate interests, but that means we do need your support, which you can do for the price of a cup of coffee once a month by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Your contribution is more helpful than you can imagine. So I recently made the acquaintance of Dr. Batsheva Marcus, a mental health and sexual health therapist practicing in New York City and the author of the book, Satisfaction Guaranteed. One of the more simple but comprehensive books on the challenges many women and couples will face in their sexual lives. From her 25 plus years as the clinical director and CEO of one of the largest sexual health centers in the U.S., she delivers common sense solutions to things most of us struggle with in making sex an easy and enjoyable part of our lives. While we're talking about sex in this conversation, I found it to be a lot more than just talking about body parts, A, B, and C. It's, it's really about relationships, our relationship to our own bodies, and what we're seeking from sexual relationships with our partners. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Batsheva Marcus. There's so many different perspectives on on thinking about what sex is, and and one of the things I really liked about your book, um, you started out talking about how you know sex is a gift, basically. That you know we I think we we expect it to be to be easy, and and not that it has to be hard, but that but it's a practice just like anything that we do that we become good at, and I think I just think that's such an important way to to, to view this. I feel really strongly about that. Is, is it something you, you talk about a lot with, with clients? So, you know, the, the best, right, I feel like people come into sex with a lot of misconceptions. I feel like their first misconception is that however they learn to have sex, like they're 15, 18, 21, 22, whatever it is, the way they learn to have sex, that that is the way it's going to be for their whole life, mm. right? Like, and that somehow, okay, now I got it, or it took me a while, but I kind of got it. And yeah. it's just going to be like that. Like, that's yeah. my story. And like, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth, right? right? Our sex lives are not static. They're yeah. just not static. Yeah. And um, and to, to think that way, it just sets you up for sadness and failure your whole life because you know, then as soon as you hit a road bump, which you will, because your body changes, yeah. your hormones change, yeah. your partnership changes, your lifestyle changes, your partner pulls their back out. Like every, every, every six months or two years, something happens. And as soon as you hit a road bump that makes the kind of sex you were having before not work, it somehow now feels like your sex life is over if that's the attitude you're coming in right. with. So I feel like that is such a big misconception. And as soon as people can kind of rejigger their thinking to say, oh, you know, sex is something that's constantly changing. If I want it in my life, I've got to constantly be keeping an eye on it and changing. Then it just makes the whole process so much less fraught. Yeah. And that gets back to, I think, what your original question was, that sex is like, it's like a gift. It's like... It's something that you have to nurture and work on in a way that I think we don't acknowledge that. We have we have such, in a certain way, absurd and um, fantastical and um, 
overly romanticized views of sex mm-hmm. in our society. And I, I hate starting out by saying that, Jeremy, because I don't want people to think of me as being somebody who doesn't think sex is fun and romantic and great. Because right, I right. do. Like yeah. I took my whole life at it. I I think it's magical, but I think it's magic that you have to learn how to make happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny. I maybe 20 years ago I was doing, I had a podcast. I was working on with a rabbi on we were doing like oh, real yeah, sex yeah. a lot. Yeah, exactly. So I, I did a lot in the Orthodox community with sex which is obviously its own fraught topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I was talking about how you need to really make time to have sex and set aside a time and figure out the kind of sex you want. And I'm talking about it. And he turns to me and he says, and this, is, this has to be at least 15, 20 years ago. He says, oh my God, Bachava, you're talking about almost like it's like exercise. And I and I immediately drew back. I was like, oh my God, no, I, I don't mean, like that's not what I, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, it is exactly like exercise. Like I couldn't think, I can't think of a better analogy. Like if you want to feel good and healthy and happy in your body, you're going to have to figure out what kind of movement and what kind of, you know, what kind of movement, I want to use the word movement rather than exercise, makes yeah. you feel happy and alive in this world. Yeah. And, and then you're going to have to practice it and feel good about it. And, you know, when you find that, you're going to feel great. And that doesn't mean that you're going to want to get off that sofa. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to want to get off that sofa on Thursday night to go to your Zumba class. Or it doesn't necessarily right. mean you're going to want to <laughs> wake up Sunday morning to go for your swim. But you do know that you're going to feel so good both when you're done in the short term and in the whole in your life when it's a part of your life. And when you find the things that give you joy as you're doing them, it just makes the whole package like fabulous. And that is, I think when you think about sex, that from that perspective, it, then you really, really can get a handle on your sex life in a way that nothing else will let you get a handle on your sex life. Yeah. I, I, I remember I'm a musician and I remember in, you know, earlier in my, in my adult life, when I was starting to play with more people and kind of getting used to that, I, I started really realizing that there was like a part of music, it feels very much like sex to me in that respect. And I've heard this, I've heard this analogy before, but there's, there's a physical part where like, you know, your whatever, whatever instrument you're playing, the, the, the physical part of that has to be sort of like, you know, it has to be trained and it also has to, you, you have to kind of like, it has to become uh, to a point, it has to start to feel easy to you. So you don't have to think about it so much because a lot of music then is responding to the other people that you're, that you're engaged with. And so once you've kind of built that that work in, and and sometimes you know you know you can probably talk to this more. Sometimes you're working on it on your own, and sometimes you're working on it with other people. And it feel I've you know I just I just feel like there's something that's very very closely related to that, and it is and it is an exercise of sorts. I love that analogy. I love that analogy. Like you work on it until you feel comfortable, and it becomes like almost second nature. And then you can work with other people, and then you. And I assume that changes also over time, right? I assume oh, yeah. you're not the same musician you were ten years yeah. ago, right? Like the, both the dexterity of your fingers may have changed, yeah. or the kind of music that you like changes. Different and, instruments. <laughs> yeah. No. So I um I love. Well, I never ever heard that analogy before. I'm going to use it with your permission. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's I think it's beautiful. And yes, when I talk about sex, and I want to really be so clear about this, when I talk about sex, solo sex, as far as I'm concerned, is sex as well, right? Yeah. Like, I, I sex with a with a partner is amazing. Sex by yourself is amazing. Or partners, there are people who have sex with yeah. many multiple partners. Um, but I think about sex as as it's sort of a fundamental piece of our lives, yeah. right? Like it's Absolutely. it's part of what we, it's part of what we are and what we do. And like when you can feel good about your sexuality, be that by yourself with another partner, you move through the world, and I feel like you move through the world in a different way. Yeah. It's, it is a little bit like discovering music, right? Like yeah. you just feel more alive, yeah. and and that is what I hear all, always from my clients. Like when they're feeling good about their sexuality, whether or not they have a partner, when they're feeling comfortable, good, happy, contented, um, competent knowledgeable, yeah. empowered, yeah. then they're going to move through the world in a very different way than if they're feeling shut down and scared and full of shame and confused and disempowered. And, and that's when you're going to draw the like energy too, right? Yes. Ab- no, absolutely. That's when, right. That is, you know, it's so interesting. There's a, there's a category, there's a, a condition called vaginismus. So mm-hmm. I talk about it a lot in my book yeah. um, where basically a woman can't get a penis into the vagina, yeah. right? Like, and sometimes she can't get anything into her vagina, not a finger, nothing into her vagina. And it's, it lives on this 
interesting continuum between fear and actual tight muscles, right? Mm. There's tight muscles and there's yep. fear. Yep. And um, it's just a fascinating condition because people don't talk about it. Yep. And the women who have it feel like they're the only ones in the world. And the statistics are that like 10% of women have it to some degree. Like to some degree, it may not be severe. And sometimes it might be incredibly severe. Yep. And, w w you know, when you say like brings like, one of the things that I started seeing very quickly in my practice was that the women who suffered from vaginismus, who were scared of it, who felt bad about it, who sort of had shut down, they weren't meeting people. They weren't getting into relationships. And and look, I, I don't know. I mean, I can tell you, there's a lot of ways to have sex without a penis and a vagina. Right, right. Know? Most women in lesbian relationships will tell you that that's true. But <laughs> even people who are in uh, you know heterosexual relationships, like, there are many, many ways to have great sex without yeah. a penis and a vagina. Yeah. And yet the women who were feeling so closed down about this and they weren't always conscious themselves about it yeah. would just shut down entirely and and often find it impossible to make friends make relationships with mm -hmm. people because somewhere in the back of their head there was this feeling of brokenness and that there was something wrong with them and once we sort of heal the vaginismus, which is so treatable. This is, we could, if you want, we could spend a half an hour. I, I could spend hours just talking about vaginismus, but what, because it's so painful and so frightening and so overwhelming to the women who, who suffer with it. And yeah. it's so treatable. But once it was treated, it was almost like, oh, magically, they suddenly are meeting guys to date. Like, isn't That's that- interesting. Isn't that weird, that magic that, yeah. you know, like all of a sudden, and, and they weren't even conscious themselves of how much they were shutting themselves out of that realm of the world. I think yeah. we don't always, we're not aware of it. I think that's what you meant when you said like- Yeah, well, like, it's, yeah, I mean, and that's that's one way, but sometimes you're just feeling, you know, like- you're you're just feeling good in your body, and you've you've kind of gotten to a place where there's there is that comfort and that and that draws. But but staying on the vaginismus for a second, because I've I've had some experience working with vulvodynia and, and vaginismus, mostly because it's it's oftentimes related to pelvic floor challenges, which crosses over with my work because I've worked in movement arts and in body work. So, um, and and I and I, I often think even people who who struggle you know with low desire sometimes. That that parasympathetic parasympathetic side of our nervous system, I, and I go through this on a, a lot of my podcasts, but so some of my regular listeners will understand. But that 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 balance between the fight or flight and that resting, digesting, restorative side is oftentimes that I, I say that that parasympathetic side of the system really likes to kind of have a mood set for it, and sometimes it, it you know that is part of of you know bringing up that arousal is actually getting that system to really be up in the mix and our fight or flight responses to go down. You know, and so for people who have been patterned a lot of times through, you know, long stressful periods, it's hard to get that desire and arousal to come back up again. But when that system becomes relaxed, sometimes with music or sometimes the right environment or sometimes, the, you know, just, just, you know, having conversation with your partner, whatever it is, those things that help to kind of calm the system will then, you know, bring up the arousal too. So I, I like to remind people of that and, but also not to blame people who have, a condition where you know we, we don't quite understand what causes vulvodynia and and vaginismus because it's you know th there is part of it that's nervous system that's part of it that's physiological and there is you know obviously some mental and emotional aspects to it too but you can't blame a person for not being able to get there at this moment in their lives right i i feel like that makes me you know and i'm very very good and careful about separating between vulvodynia or vulva vestibulodynia and and vaginismus even okay. though often they will show up with with each other but yeah. let's just use the vaginismus as the tightening of the muscles even though you know we could parse this even obviously even more yeah, more yeah. specifically um but one of the things that does break my heart is that you know women will say to me i know i should just relax mm. like and i'm like that is like telling somebody with neck, you know, right. spasms or back spasms. And I don't know if you've ever had it, but I've had back spasms. That's oh, how I ended relax, up in my, my field, yeah. yeah. Oh, because you had back spasms? Yeah, ter terrible back spasms from my teenage years into my, you know, late 20s, even early 30s. Right. So how helpful is it somebody say to you, oh, yeah. Jeremy, just relax, yeah. just relax. Yeah. And, 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 and so these women are coming in feeling doubly blamed, right? Mm. Like, I know I just need to relax. I, you know, I know the muscles are just tight and I just need to relax. And I'm like, oh, you know, how's that working out for you? She was like, you know, know. 
so now you're blaming. So now the part of you is feeling bad about the fact that you're having pain and blaming yourself for the mm-hmm. fact that you're having pain. Yeah. Um, and so like teaching that w- women are work. I'm not even teaching is the right word, working with women to be able to learn to relax those pelvic floor muscles is life-changing yeah. and, and learning to ha- for them to start understanding that their brain and their pelvic floor muscles can communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Like that is what, like when we, we talk about vaginismus patients, working with vaginismus patients, you know, we can help break that cycle, but your brain and your vagina, they need to start talking and yep. they can talk. And when women start realizing that they can be in conversation with each other, um, then I feel like it, it changes their ability to, calm down parasympathetic nervous system like right. just to be able right. to but and that feels very different than just saying you know relax do you know what I mean? like right but and but it's always it, it is it is challenging there and i found that recovering with my back issues it's like it's a little chicken or egg there it's like what helps that area relax or what kinds of proactive things can i do that might help that situation and so, and, and maybe you can talk about that as far as as far as vaginismus is concerned, because um, you go into it in much more detail in the book. But maybe maybe just kind of like a, a brief, you know, a few things sure. that, that that can be done. Right. So I think one of the things that honestly enrages me is when I see a woman who's been talking to a talk therapist for a year about her vaginismus. Uh, right. Like there are tight muscles. Right. There are tight muscles. We know there are tight muscles there, and talking about your tight muscles again it's like talking about your back spasms now i'm not to say there aren't some people who talking about their back spasms may help but but you know the body keeps the score in the end and there's something going on there with the tight muscles and so um there's no question in my mind there's you know that i will say unequivocally that the, the best way to approach treating any kind of vaginismus is with a combination of yeah. body work and talk work right yeah, because yeah. You know, if you see, and and some people see a pelvic floor physical therapist and that Mm -hmm. could be super helpful. And if their pelvic floor physical therapist is a lovely supporting, supportive person who can help talk to them, then that can, that can be a huge piece or the whole answer. But just sitting and talking, like it isn't going to work because you need to sort of introduce your body to the ability to learn to relax those muscles. But if you can do both of those and also the fears that come in and the anger, like, I feel like getting, getting vagin, you know, there are women who have vaginism that's so severe. They, they really truly cannot, cannot put anything inside their vagina. They can't even do pelvic floor physical therapy. They hyperventilate at the idea. They're like, you know, I've had people hyperventilate on the table and, um, and there are procedures now where the women are put, you know, under for like 15 minutes using Botox in the vagina, putting a vaginal dilator, which is just like a little stick in there Mm -hmm. so that, you know, and the women will kind of wake up and be relaxed and be like, oh my God, is there a hole there? Like there really Mm. is this feeling like it's almost the analogy I love to give is if I said to you, Jeremy, I have this pen and I'm going to, you have a hole in your eye. You have a pupil in your eye, right? You know Mm -hmm. that there's a hole in your eye, right? I'm just, you just sit still right there and I'm going to slide this pen into that hole. And you'd be like, like hell I am, my child. Like there's no way, right? Like, so, so these women will wake up and say, oh my God, is there actually a hole there? Is there a space there? And and am I normal? And then we'll be like, yes. And nothing's hurting you right now. And there's something in there. And now you and your vagina and you're, you're going to start connecting you're mm-hmm. going to start realizing that these two things can work in in tandem and you're going to know what it feels like and but the work just starts there the yeah. work just starts there because slowly they have to start trusting that their body can handle what their body can handle and um and they're going to have to go through all those phases of this is it isn't going to hurt i'm going to learn how to deep breathe i'm going to learn how to relax i'm going to learn how to you know um use guided imagery if that that's mm-hmm. going to help I'm going to, I'm going to start learning to trust my body. And there's all the secondary, like anger about all years that they may have lost right. during this, right. um, sadness about, yeah. you know, feeling like they have went through this for so long and nobody really talked to them about it. Um, so, so there is a psychological piece, but it is of all the conditions that are treatable that, you know, vaginismus tight muscles are so treatable and honestly so quickly like mm-hmm. you know that that is honestly if you talk about things that break my heart i see women who i had a woman come in 
I've had many cases like this, but I had a woman came in who was married 11 years and she and her partner were having great sex until they got married because they were waiting to have intercourse until they got married, which is often in my mind, a very interesting flag for this. Okay. Um, as soon as they tried to have intercourse, they realized they had, they had, she had vaginismus. Sex between them got more and more fraught till they stopped touching altogether. 11 years went by. He had an affair. She was like, I got to deal with this. She came in. Eight weeks later, she was fine. Like it isn't, we're wow. not talking. Like, right, we're not talking. This is not neurosurgery. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. This is something where the secondary problems that result from the problem are so much worse than the problem themselves. And yeah. I, I feel like that we see that a lot with sex. Problems come up and rather than saying, okay, it's a problem, we need to deal with it. People don't deal with it. And then the secondary problems that start are just so much worse than the first. Right. And I feel like I just went on a huge tangent. So I don't know if I answered your question. It's interesting because it it gets right back to the practice part of things, I feel like. There's... You know, and we we back back to that expecting this to 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 work well. And then when it doesn't, we 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 struggle with like, for one, we we it's it's a huge part of our culture. it's it's everywhere. And yet we don't we don't really talk about it casually in some ways, you know, and I, and I've, i I mean, I do because it's part of my my day to day with people. but i I find for most people, that's just not something that they do. And you might, you know, girlfriends might talk about it together about things, but they often won't get into the physical part of what's what's a, a challenge for them or even sometimes the emotional part of why they just don't feel connected or whatever it is that's happening during during bad sex. No, people don't. I'm, I'm always saying this. Like we live in a time where we are drenched with sex, right? Like yeah. it's in the it's on the billboards. It's in the ads. It's in the TV. It's on it, it's everywhere you turn. And yet nobody's having any real conversations. And and people will honestly lie. I can't even tell you the number of clients I've had who said that they'll tell people that things are going great because they're too embarrassed mm-hmm. to admit that yeah. they're not, even though I'm sitting here saying, you know, for for the rest of you know, there's that statistic that they did a study, 43% of women say they're having a problem with their sex life. And I say the other 57 are just lying. Like, <laughs> dude, I, was like, yeah. uh, I don't know almost any woman who hasn't had a man, but, you know, who hasn't had an issue with their sex life during the course of their life. And if we could talk about it, you know, and we and if we stopped believing in this pixie dust you know, the yeah. fantasies is a great, maybe we could spend some time talking about that. Cause I feel like that's another area where we have so much misconceptions about like what it's about. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you want well, to go yeah, somewhere well, else. It's, it's interesting because you no, know, I, I think that might be a good place to go because well, one of the, one of the things I, I picked up, you, you, you talked about, about fantasy in your, in your book a little bit and, and about how, I mean, there's, like that, that it's fantasy itself is a practice, you know, but there's, but there's this very, there's this very, you know, challenging part of this where like on some level, we've also been sold a, a false bill of goods about all that needs to be tied up romantically and all these things that's part of sex, like that can be part of sex, but it can also be, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, other things. There's, there's so many different w- other ways of thinking about what's, what sex is for, for an individual or a couple or you know, a group in some situations, right? So that, but, but that fantasy part of things, if you're not doing things to, to sort of stoke that in you, right? There's kind of that, that that's, that's part of where our, some of our, our arousal and desire come from too. Yeah. Most of it. I mean, that's like, you <laughs> that's know, like, I, 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 yes, I, Right. I, I sort of laugh when somebody comes in to me and they've been like together with their partner for 20 years. And and I am. I'm a very big proponent. Of, if you want a long term monogamous relationship, it is a lot of work. Nobody says nobody mm-hmm. tells you that. And it is a lot of work. In some ways, it's a lot easier to jump from partner to partner and keep, you know, things interesting. So and and I feel like that's great if that's what you want. But if you want a long term monogamous relationship, then that's not only doable but fabulous. And it's there's a way to do it. But if you think that your partner in that room by yourself is what's going to turn you on for the next fifty years or sixty or seventy years, like that's absurd. Right. Like there's 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 an absurdity to it. And and what I think gets lost is this idea that fantasies are something we actually have to work on. Like it goes back to our original Mm -hmm. conversation, like that sex is something you work on, right? Like we have this idea that fantasies are, I'm going to use the term again, this magic pixie dust, right? That they just sort of come sprinkling down on you from on high. And like, 
Yeah, and that may be true when you're 18, when your hormones are right. incredibly high and running really no. wild. And we could talk about hormones because I think that they're relevant. Then that your brain is going to be wired to have more fantasies. Right. When your hormones settle down a little bit and when all these other parts of your life come in and when you start editing your fantasies because you somehow think they're inappropriate, I hope you yeah. talk about that, that all you're managed to do is shut down the part of your brain, which is going to be the most useful piece of your sex life right. in so many ways. It's mostly about the brain. Yeah. Know, isn't it? I mean, as at least at least as we get older, I think, but right, right, you know, what you're saying about younger people is that there there is a chemical, you know, hormonal aspect of what goes on and what triggers all these responses, um, which takes away a lot of the romance. I'm sorry for anyone <laughs> who that causes problems for, but but it's the reality. And I it actually and, creates all the romance. Let's and, and, well, and that, and and that's that's sort of part of it. And 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 I think too, the work of a monogamous relationship over time is one of those things that actually is is what makes it so fulfilling. You know, I think it's 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 all the ups and downs, and the fact that you can still maintain you know feelings and affection for this person. You know, it almost it almost comes with the with the work. You know, so I've, I had this this friend who had this like terrible this uh, dog they adopted who just had like started it basically had to wear a diaper. I'm trying it's to figure out where this is going. The dog they adopted. <laughs> the dog had to wear a diaper its entire life, and okay. and it was just so much work for this dog. And when the dog finally passed, you would think that he would have felt like so much better. Like finally, I don't have this. He had so much more tied up in the in in all the feelings that he had because of all the work that he had put into this dog, and I, I think that's kind of where I'm circling back to. It's like that's that's where some of that feeling comes from with those monogamous relationships. <laughs> and, right? No, no. I think that that is true. That there's something very powerful long term about you know having sort of weathered life with this person, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. But I think, and I think people are often skeptical about whether it's possible to maintain a level of eroticism with this person. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is, I, I, I will say to you, I think, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have no idea where you end up with the hormones question. And I, you know, think that a lot of people are in a lot of different places with it, but I, I have a level of, I want people to understand that when you two see two 17 year olds and they cannot keep their hands off each other, the first thing you think is not, oh, they must've had a deep, lovely, deep, meaningful conversation recently, <laughs> or right. Or you don't think, oh, like he must've bought her flowers, right. Or she bought flowers. You think their hormones are raging and right. you're totally right. And then when you're 45 or 50 years old and you feel like something's missing somehow then we ignore the hormones and like mm. that's not fair right yeah, like yeah. hormones are very very powerful and i think extremely important and one of the things i'll often say is there's a myriad of behavioral and um exercisey kinds of things that i or other sex therapists can give you but mm -hmm. if it becomes like it's just too much work, it's not working, then you really need to look at your hormones. And okay. I feel like as a society, we have a responsibility to do that because it just makes everything more e easily and doable. But for sure, for sure, your brain is hormonally mediated. Like yeah. it's it's affected by your brain, right? Like, And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about fantasies. And, and, and the brain is making your genitalia work. Like all of those things are running back mm -hmm. and forth constantly. There's messages going back and forth between the two of them, right? Yeah. It's not like yeah. a one-way highway. So um, so what I what I find is that, you know, and I talk about this in the book, that, you know, we don't pay enough attention to sort of the issue of neuroplasticity in our brains. And mm. I, I'm, I'm sure you deal with this a lot. So I'm going to guess because- work, yeah. Exactly. So what people need to realize, and you probably talk about this, is that when you don't use a piece of your brain, it quiets, it shuts down, it prunes. Mm -hmm. Basically, your brain's very efficient. Like if it's not using, if you're not, if you're a French speaker, but you haven't talked French in 15 or 20 years, yeah. the part of your brain that speaks French is just going quiet. It doesn't yeah. disappear, thank God, but it just yeah. goes quiet. Yeah. And even when you want to start talking French again, you're going to have to work pretty damn hard to get those neurons working and firing and the blood back in that area. But then the more you do it, the more it happens. And right. if you want to learn Spanish, it's going to be easier, right? It's not right. just the French, right? Because that whole part of your brain is now like firing the way it should be. Well, I think people shut down the fantasy, the erotic part of their brains. They just mm. do it because they're busy. They have a lot of other things going on. Yeah. Um, and women in particular feel guilty about their fantasies. Yeah. I think we yeah. need to talk about that. Yeah. And, um, and, and so what happens is you just don't feel erotic anymore. Like that whole part, but it is possible. That part of your brain did not die. I want yeah. anybody listening to yeah. say, 
promise you that part of your brain is not dead, but it will take work to get it back to running again. And people are like, they look at me like I have three heads. Like, we're, I'm supposed to work to fantasize? Like, fantasies are something that you happen to you. And I'm like, no, actually not. Think about fantasies as speaking French. <laughs> like, yeah. you can get really good at it yet again, and you want it to be happening a lot during your day today, and we're going to help make it happen but you have to realize that it will feel uncomfortable and like work in the beginning. Yeah. What was, was you share your story a little bit about uh, as it relates to hormones or, or as it relates to just change that happened with you at, you know, uh, I think arousal issues, but also inability to orgasm, right? That was, and is yeah. there anything, is there anything you can share about what you learned from, from your experience with that? So when I open the book, I talk about my sort of life trajectory and and what I hope to do. And in general, like I'm on social media a lot and I obviously have a lot of clients and I tend to not talk about myself because I feel like, you know, I'm an N of one. Like it's not, you know, yeah. my experience is just my experience. But what I think is really powerful is that almost every single experience that any of my clients have had, I've been there. You right. know what I mean? That's, like, that's, that's what like I was wondering. I, exactly. Like I have been there. And <clears> not only have I been there, but like I've gone down the the, the silly rabbit holes that some of us, like you'd think I would know better as a person who's in sex, you know, um, who's a sex therapist. So yes, there was, there were, there was time when I went on a, um, SSRI, um, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, mm -hmm. like an anti-anxiety medication, yeah. classic anti-effects yeah. or like whatever. Yeah. The first time I went on that was, was when it first came out, maybe 25 years ago. I had no clue it could affect my orgasm. Uh. My orgasm disappeared, right? Like, and I had never had a problem with it in the past. And I, but I didn't know, like, I, I just didn't know that the stuff was, first of all, I wasn't in this field at the time because yeah. it was probably 30 years ago. But second of all, there was just not a lot of literature out there. Mm. And um, so I, I panicked and I thought, oh my God, this is so classic. Oh my God, my relationship must be a mess, uh. right? Like, I must not trust my husband. Like you go all these places, like what is going on? You know, yeah. you know, subconsciously, am I angry at him? Am I not communicating the things I need to talk about? Like all of the places people go whenever something happens right. in their sex life. And, um, and by luck, I mentioned to the, it happened to be a friend who, of course, it was a friend who was a psychiatrist who gave me the Prozac and wasn't like, I hadn't actually, you know, like, I have a lot of friends who are doctors. I was very anxious. She said, why don't you try some Prozac? So I actually, I, I wrote an article about this because this actually happened in synagogue. I would see her in synagogue. So I went to her and I said, you know, I was talking to her. I said, there, there's no connection, right? There's not. And she was like, Oh, yes, there's a direct connection, direct correlation between having problems with orgasm. And I'm looking at her. And meanwhile, that's three months of like keeping my poor husband up for hours trying to have conversations about what it is that was really going on. Right. Like, so um, I think that we do ourselves a very big disservice when we make assumptions that when there are problems in the sex life that means there are problems in the relationship. Gotcha. And that I think, you know, I talk about that a lot because I cannot tell you how many couples I have seen or individuals I've seen who come in who say we were in therapy as a couple. Like I'm having problems with my orgasm. I'm having problems with pain. You know, our desires aren't matched up. Mm -hmm. You know, he's having erection problems, you know, whatever. And we've been couples therapy for, you know, six months to a year. And the couple therapists keep saying, well, as long as we get the communication going well, Bacheva, well, not, yeah. they don't think Bacheva, as long as we get the communication going well, then the sex will take care of itself. And I'm like, that is bullshit. And yeah. I love to say bullshit yeah, on here. Course. Like that is bullshit, right? <laughs> like, yes, right, just checking. Um, the reality is, is that there are sexual problems that arise because of relationship. If I yeah. don't trust my partner, if my partner's have, there's infidelity, if I'm furious at my partner, if I don't want to make my partner happy, there are there are definitely things that can happen in a sex life because of a problem in a relationship. But Sex lives can have a problem, have many, many problems that are, bear no, you know, bear no reflection on that relationship. Right. I mean, relationships are complicated. Most of them are not perfect. My husband always says, no relationship is perfect except mine. But okay, no, I promise you, ours <laughs> is perfect. It's the right thing to say around you, though. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so he's totally right. Um, and then he laughs when he says it. So the reality is that Every relationship has its issues and okay. no relationship is perfect. And you don't have to have a perfect relationship to have good sex. And sometimes 
the problems with the sex are what's causing the problem in the relationship. If you're a couple and you haven't had sex in six months, it's going to create problems in the relationship very likely, which may have nothing to do with anything else. So um, you can see by how passionately I'm getting. I feel like that is such a distortion in our, I mean, I don't know. Do you come across that? Because I feel like that's assumed, assumed, assumed you have problems with sex. You must be problems. Well, it goes both ways, right? If you're, if you're having problems communicating and and with the relationship itself, you're also not going to have sex. So, it goes, it goes, it cuts both ways. And, and, you know, back to this, you know, this, when, when there's a problem, you know, part of things is, is there, is there a piece where, when, when you notice there's a problem happening, do, do you look to things? I mean, I, I imagine your brain works a little bit like mine does where I'm, I'm scanning for patterns in my practice all the time. Like, where have I seen this before? Does this, does this relate to other things that I've seen? My guess is that, because you found out it was an SSRI issue that any, any kind of new change, you know, any kind of, you know, thing that's happened with the person must be something that you're looking for when there's a problem with, with, you know, sex in some way. No, for sure. When I start dealing with a client, the first thing I'm doing is going through any sort of patterns that have shifted both in the relationship and in their medical history, right? Like birth control pills could be a huge, have a huge impact long-term, short-term on women. Um, You know, SSRIs have a huge impact on women dropping to estrogen testosterone levels as women hit menopause and men, you know, you know, um, dietary changes too. I've, I've seen people who go through, you know, major shifts in their diet, trying to lose weight or trying to do something else. Even CBD, um, for people who have been using it for chronic pain, I've heard have had some people have had some problems with orgasm. um, Really? Because there's something about, um, it, it really, and, and again, these, these could be, there, there could be a lot of different things that go on with that, right? It might be because of the level of pain that they experience plus that, that, that right. might, that might be like, well, we're not going to put energy there. <laughs> because, right, no, right. Cause I'm barely surviving. So you're talking about CBD or THC? I'm just, just so curious. Just, what I, just CBD, which I thought was interesting. And, and I think this, this becomes the, there's, I have a, a couple of doctor friends who do a lot of work with, in coordination with this, with some, some chronic pain stuff. They really believe that there should be, I, I think, I think, uh, THC got kind of demonized for a while. It's, it's, it's all starting to blur a little bit. We're just legalized in Minnesota, sort of accidentally. Um, but the, the, I, I think the THC, you know, it's, it's, it's the combination of the things that, that I think end up part of what, what helps to balance the, the nervous system's response to different kinds of things that, that relate to pain that is necessary. So, you know, that might be something to talk to if you're, if you're, if you're to, to a doctor about, if you have access to that, if you're, if you're using just CBD for something, and if you find out that you're having some, some problems with, you know, I haven't heard that, but it honestly makes not, it kind of makes sense to me yeah. because the CBD is really calming down your system, right? Like yeah. in other words, it's, you know, and, and, you know, like well, butrin or bupro, the, the, the dopamine agonist, the things that are making it easier to get the dopamine yes. hits are going to yes. make the easier for you to have the orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. So the things that are calming it down may... That's the, I haven't seen that at all yet, and now right. I'm going to have to go. After this, I'm going to have to go. It, it, it also relates to an anti-anxiety. I mean, that's that's what a lot of people use it for, yes. right? So it seems similar yes. to SSRI in that way. But I'm yes. not. A, I'm not. Yeah, a, yeah, I'm yeah. not a person who knows the the chemistry side of this. I'm just a curious <laughs> right, observer. Right. But right. But anyway. But that's. But th- those kinds of things I look to. I, I worked with somebody recently who uh, a man who was also having problems. Um, who had gone through a big dietary change, got into intermittent fasting and got into, you know, some things that I think shifted something hormonally. And yes. it turned out there was a lot, there was a serious lo- uh, low testosterone thing that was happening. Was it related to the diet? Who knows? Maybe there was something there already that was sort of like low and it just pushed things, you know. So I, so I, he was having more trouble. He wasn't feeling better is what you're saying. Right, right. Right. But we're getting so much more information now about the sunshine on the skin, having a huge help burst for testosterone. Like there are ways to get, yeah. you know, to sort of straighten out, I think, your hormones naturally and... Um, and I do think circling way back to where we were a while ago, which is that, you know, when you, when you can get yourself into a position where you can actually fantasize, get your brain in the game, Mm -hmm. it changes the entire equation for people. And I feel like that 
we kind of lose we we kind of lose sight of that. You know, people, especially I think for men, because when Viagra came on the market and it just helped with the erections, mm-hmm. people thought penis, 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 like yeah. get the penis hard, right? Yeah. But if you got if you give a guy Viagra and you send him off to a basketball game. You know, he's not going to get hard, right? Like he's got to have the stimulation from the brain to get the penis yeah. hard, right? If you hand a woman testosterone and then just send her on her way without helping her use her brain to mm-hmm. get herself turned on, you're going to have the same, it's the same, it's the same reaction, right. which is right. why I feel like, you know, it's so frustrating to me when I hear doctors say, well, I've tried using testosterone, it doesn't do any good. Right. And then I hear therapists say, well, you know, it's all about the, you know, the behavioral work. And right. then I see their clients six months later because the behavioral work only gets you so far when the physiology isn't, isn't, isn't yeah. there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, skills, but I, teaching yeah. skills plus pills, right? I mean, that's, that seems to be a much yeah, better equation. skills plus pills. I never heard that. I like that. That's <laughs> one, really good. One, one I got my the therapist music friends, one? Yeah. No, one of my therapist friends, it's, it's, he works in pediatrics, but he's, uh, d- does developmental behavioral work and that it's, it's always teaching the skills before the pills. That's kind of his mantra. Um, because then you, then you've got that bedrock basically. And when you, when you add the, whatever the chemical part is, that's, that might be missing, They've already they've already integrated some of the skill part of it in, which I I, I love sense. that. I, I I love that. I I wonder sometimes. Sometimes I feel like the pills help you teach the skills because could, it's too hard too. without the pills, right? Like sometimes I'll have clients who are so anxious that they can't even do the work. That's, right? That could be true. And too. then if you can calm down the anxiety a little bit, they can they can start looking at the anxiety, and mm. then they can start cutting back, right? Or 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 women who are having so much trouble accessing their desire. And then when you give, when you get them on some testosterone, now they can, and they're starting to fantasize and they're allowing themselves to fantasize and they're not judging it as much. And then you can just lower the dose and take it away. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, um, it's, I think, I think a practitioner who really sort of is able to look at the pills and the skills like that, to me, that's changing the world of medicine. Mm -hmm. And that is really where medicine's not at today. Right. It feels like most medicine is, the pills or the skills and not even the skills. It's the talking sometimes that isn't even skill based. Right. Right. And, and I, I mean, just from what I know from what, what I hear from other, other MDs that I, that I tend to work with, they just don't have the time. They're, they're jealous of the time that we get, you know, because they, you know, they, they would like to do more skill building, but it's just not part of their, you know, that's, that's not available to them. Right. I mean, gynecologists now have between six and 12 minutes usually yeah, per client. Right. It's, it's, it's frightening. Right, I know. Yeah. So, so what, what kinds of things do you, what, like, where do you start when there's like a, a low arousal, you know, challenge, which I, I feel like I'm hearing more of, you know, that, that right, right now. And I don't know if it's like pandemic related, you know, people got out, got, you know, into different habits during this time period. Um, but where, where, where do you usually start with that? So, you know, what I'll often do and what I need feel like is really important to separate, I, I, I try to do this as well as I can in the book, and for some people it's an aha moment, is separate low desire from problems with arousal. People tend to merge mm, those. Like yeah. somebody will come in and they'll say, I have no desire to have sex, much of a, I, you know, whatever. And then I'll be like, okay, well, um, theoretically, tell me, you know, tell me about your sex life. And they'll be like, well, it's it's bad. Like I don't get turned on. I don't have an orgasm. I'm like, well, if you did get turned on and had an orgasm, would you want to have sex? And they're like, oh yes, of course I would. Right. (laughs) Right. So that's an arousal problem, right? Because believe it or not, there are women who come into my office all the time who say, I don't know what my problem is. I just had one yesterday. I I get turned on when we have sex. It doesn't take me that long. I get really turned on. I have great orgasms. And then I just do not want to do it again. Mm. And my husband cannot figure out what is, and I can't figure out what's going on because and that is a desire problem. And I feel like we need to understand that just neural separate neural pathways for, yeah. for those two things. Now, there's no question if you have lousy arousal and your sex is bad, you're going to be less likely to want to have sex. But it is a separate, I think you have to understand it as sort of separate trajectories. Yeah. So when somebody comes in and they're telling me they're just, their arousal is bad, they're just not getting turned on it. So I will do a scan of medications because birth control pills right. can be a huge impact of this. Hormonal shifts can be a huge, have a huge impact on this. Um, SSRIs can have a huge impact as we started talking about. Like, so the medical piece is absolutely critically important and understanding that is absolutely critically important. 
The other thing goes back to what we were talking about early on, which is understanding that it isn't magic pixie dust. This is something you actually have to work on. Yeah. And and it may be that when you were 18 or within the first three years of your, you know, three months or six months of your relationship, you felt like you were working on it. But to have arousal, you need to work on it. And so that may be, that may be learning to use your fantasy as we started talking about like mm -hmm. let's talk about how to get your fantasy life off and rolling and let's see how much judgment and how much you're shutting that down okay. let's see how much your your neurological shifting may have made it harder to have orgasms have you considered using a vibrator let's mm -hmm. let's talk about how to have making that orgasm how to get the pleasure easier and more get yourself turned on and have an orgasm um you know, how to set up your household and your time so that you actually give yourself the time and space to have sex with your partner if that's what you want to be yeah. doing. And we we should talk about scheduling sex. I, like I, that I, is... I, I, I was going to say that's, and you, you, you get into, you know, detail with that, which I think is, I think it's, again, it's like, it's, it's dealing with that, those romantic, you know, notions that we have had that scheduling it is, is just it works against that. But basically, you know, I, I think about scheduling is like, it's kind of creating some boundaries. It's like you're, you're in a way you're just opening up an opportunity for yourself and, and, and you might schedule it and maybe, maybe you're just not in the right place that night. And maybe you just hang and, you know, maybe there is still a romantic thing with no sex, but I think most of the time, you know, if the intention's there <laughs> and you're, you're, that, that it's something that you, you both want, it'll, it'll happen. You know, I was just on this talk show with another sex therapist and they said to the two of us, what would be your like number one, like what would be your number one tip for couples who want to keep sex in their life? And both of us without missing a beat, like it was so clear, <laughs> we're like, you have to schedule sex. You have to schedule it. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you how often people look at me like I'm insane, you know? And they're like, well, that doesn't sound very sexy about to have schedule sex. And I'm like, you know what isn't sexy? not having sex that's not sexy <laughs> exactly. okay so and and I, so i think people have to start thinking about scheduling sex a little differently than yeah. we think about it right yeah. like so when i talk to couples who have good solid long-term sex lives right and i'll and they say well we don't schedule sex and i'll be like oh that's fine so just tell me like when do you have sex and they'll say oh yeah usually just once on the weekend or they'll say um Oh, like once on the weekend and usually once Wednesday or Thursday, or they'll say, I don't know. We don't usually let more than four or five days go by. Of course they're scheduling. That's exactly what they're doing. Right. It's just what we would call like a soft schedule, right. which is like an ideal. But for a lot of couples who have to get things back on track, you, you need to do a hard schedule. Right. Like you need to right. say, this is something we are going to make happen. And, you know, you know, and, and please don't give me this when we were dating, we didn't schedule it because you were thinking about having sex with that person when you were going out with that. You were yeah. having hair ripped from all kinds of terrible parts of your body in excruciating pain for this unscheduled sex you were going right. to have, right? Like, of course you knew you. And, and like, you, were, you were planning for it every time you met up with them. Exactly. Yeah, that's the exactly. schedule. It's so it was it's bullshit to say like it's just you just weren't as conscious of it right, as you all. Right. So and here's what happens: you're with somebody long term. You are busy with your lives. You are busy with your parents. You are busy with your children. You are mm -hmm. busy with your schedule. You are busy with your work. There is no way that there's going to be time for sex if you do not put it on the calendar. Yeah. And and that is honoring each other. That is not you know, a chore that is because we need to make sure that we have time in our lives for sex and, and, and putting it on the calendar. And as you said, that doesn't mean that you always like, you know, some days you'll just have naked. Sometimes I'll say, let's just call it naked time. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and, and being able to do it in a way where like you have a lock on your door, there are no pets on your bed, which is like, right. That there's just, <laughs> you're, you laugh. You have no, no I, idea. I have, I have pets. <laughs> Are they in your bed? No, no, we we don't have pets sleeping in the bed. Oh my god! I have like, well, we, you know, it's really hard to have sex because the dog starts to whine. Right. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Okay, yeah. like, let's get some boundaries here, you yeah. know? So, finding time, making time, the two of you is it is just like making it. it all you're saying is I'm making this a priority. Yeah. You, it's not making a chore. It's making a priority. And honestly, I feel for both partners, and this more, I think, speaks to women, but not always, it gives you a time to kind of self-prepare 
You know, if that mm-hmm. means watching something, thinking something, taking a shower, doing something that allows you to feel sexier, um, then it just, it makes it like an enjoyable time. Yeah. That gets into what I was saying earlier about our, our systems do really well when we set, when we set the mood for it. And sometimes that means like no technology, no dog in the room, all these different pieces, taking a shower, whatever it is that makes, helps you get to that, to that place, dim lights. And, you know, if you, if you, if you don't do that preparation work, you know, it's the same thing. I, t- I, I do a lot of work with people who have trouble sleeping. It's the same kind of thing that you're trying to do. You're trying to set the tone for having a good night's rest. And, and sex would actually be the, the perfect ending to the setup. <laughs> no, totally. And music. You didn't say music. And music, of course. And your musician. Yeah. And music is really important. And I think one of the things I'll often talk to couples about is there, again, this under the heading of the mythology is that people think of when they're setting up their like romantic time that it should be very romantic. Like, you know, we think hot baths, we think candles, we think, but for a lot of people that's romantic, but not necessarily hot and erotic, yeah, right? Like, yeah. you know, and so allowing yourself to engage in fantasies that feel a little darker to you or, you know, setting up the room in a way that feels, you know, whether that's with handcuffs or whatever it is, that right. allowing yourself to not feel like you have to go, you know, I, I can't tell you how many women will say to me, well, I just, it doesn't like, it makes me feel relaxed, but that doesn't necessarily make me feel sexy. Like somehow mm. we have decided as a society that the more relaxed a woman is kind of the more up for sex she'll be like, and it is, there is something about feeling relaxed, but honestly, for a lot of women, eroticism, you know, they'll talk about, they'll they'll talk about like, I love my husband. He's the most special person in the world. And I am so happy to have a life with him, but I still fantasize about my high school boyfriend who's in jail, the biker guy who's in jail, right? Like, (laughs) right? right? Like, so, and, and we don't really allow ourselves at it. And so I'm like saying, prepping yourself to get ready, think about your high school boyfriend who's in jail. Just saying like, spend your time thinking, you know what I mean? Like, which goes back to the fact that women are so bad about, you know, editing their fantasies. It makes them feel like they're being unfaithful. I'm like, you're being very faithful. You're using this fantasy of this guy who doesn't exist at all. And he probably has a pot belly and he's probably like, he probably has no teeth left, but you're using, (laughs) you're using this fantasy to have great sex with this person who you love, you know? So scheduling sex can be so much more complex than and and positive than we like to think about it and i don't know people have this visceral reaction to it and i'm like i'm just gonna say it again you know it's not sexy not sexy is not having sex that's not sexy so so let's let's talk about one of the probably the biggest challenges i'm guessing is what if there's a mismatch in in sexual desire so yeah i mean yeah so you see that all the time and it's um and it's it's really I would say probably the thing that comes in the most like you the, oh really the thing that I would see the most yeah I mean not it's not like it's eighty percent of the practice but if it's twenty percent and everything else is five percent it yeah mismatched desire more often than not it's the woman the man complaining the woman doesn't want to have as much sex okay. as the man yeah. now I have so much to say about this I don't know where to start okay <laughs> so um. So I, I want to say one caveat. In those situations where the woman wants to have more sex than the man, the situation is just even more painful because mm. we live in a society where it's just assumed, right? Like so there's a the, lot of shame. The narrative, mm-hmm, the yeah. narrative is, well, of course women don't want to have as much sex as the guy. So, you know, you're a guy and your wife doesn't want to have sex and just join the rest of us. It's sort right. of the, yeah. you know, as opposed to, oh my God, you want to have more sex than your husband. Either you're like a sex maniac or what's wrong with him right. or his feelings about you. So that is way more shame based. And, um, and I just, so anybody listening, I want you to know that it's, it's not that unusual and there's so many factors and it's not, it's not a referendum on how attractive yeah, you that's, are. Yeah, that's a good reminder. So, but I do want to say for the, for the, for the, for the majority of the cases where it's the men coming in saying the women don't want to, don't want to have sex. Um, the, the thing to sort of keep in mind, one of the things that I feel like happens in those situations is so much secondary problems start to arise, which is this, the guy feels like he's never going to have sex. And so he is like grumpy or irritated or he tries to whine and dine her and convince her to have sex and that pisses her off. Or he doesn't talk about it at all because he thinks that will just, you know, maybe if I ignore it, it'll, you know, and that, right. 
Now, what's happening on the women's side is she has a clock going in her head and she's feeling terrible. Like she knows like she's supposed to be having sex, but like it's been four days, it's been a week, it's been two weeks. Oh my God. Like she just feels mm. terrible. And what happens, and this is the, I feel like the most heart-wrenching part, she will not approach him physically at all anymore, right? Like, because if she kisses him or, you know, puts her arms around him or snuggles, he feels legitimately like, oh my God. I have an opening now. Yep. She must be a little bit more in the mood. So she can't approach him at all physically because she feels like as soon as she does that, he's going to want to have sex. Yeah. Both of them are like 100% on the right at this point. He's feeling completely abandoned, not just in terms of sex, but I'll feel the husbands will say like, I'm not even getting touched anymore. She doesn't kiss me anymore. Yeah. And she'll say, well, I can't because as soon as I do that, he assumes I want to have sex. They're both right. And it's a terrible, right. terrible stalemate right. to get in, right? Like, and couples get into this all the time. I see this all the time. And so what I will say to them is, okay, we're going to work with her issues. We're going to try to see, is there, is there a hormonal issue? Is this a, you know, can we work with like making the sex better and, you know, for her? But in the meantime, I want to schedule sex like we talked about, but I also want to schedule not sex. Like, I feel like this is, yeah, this is where I, I feel like a lot of therapists get lost. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll say, oh, you should have sex once a week. That don't, that doesn't really solve I've the never, problem. I've never heard the not scheduling not sex before, before I reading your Thank book. Thank you. I know. I think I'm a genius. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really an interesting thing. So continue on. It's life-changing. I feel like it's life-changing for my clients, right? So I'll say, we're going to figure out the amount of time once a week, once every other week, something that you both can come to with a positive attitude, right? Mm -hmm. The low partner, let's say it's her, without being whined and dined and whatever. The rest of the time, let's say it's once a week, you pick a time, like Saturday night, you guys are going to have sex, right? You can do this. The rest of the time, sex is off the table. If she climbs naked into bed and puts her arms around you and says, I love you to pieces, no sex, not yeah. happening. Yeah. So that, the the so two things happen. One is, he starts being able to breathe. Oh, I will have sex on Saturday night. It's not like I'm going to have the rest of my life with no sex, right? Like, which yeah. is a terrible, it's like when you're on a diet and a chocolate cake and you're never, ever, ever going to, all you yeah. think about is chocolate cake. It's right. It's right, yeah. right. <laughs> and no, it's totally like, and she is not having that stupid clock in her head all the time. Yeah. And she feels like she can be freed up to actually be there and be available and like a loving partner. So it, it's this, like I said, you know, the sexual problems, this, the debris, that sex, the debris, it sort of clears off the debris in a really, really, I, I found it like life-changing way and gives them both space to now sort of start of refinding each other yeah. and refiguring out how to have sex, which hopefully she can have once a week that makes her feel good and happy and makes her feel like back to the exercise thing where it makes her feel like it's part of her life again. Cause usually those women aren't happy that sex isn't part of their life either. And they're not sure what to do. Yeah. And he isn't feeling abandoned anymore. And he isn't feeling like, like adrift anymore. And he's certainly not feeling like he has to whine and dine and woo her or ignore her or do right. the dishes right. or white. You know what? I feel so bad for the men in that situation. I, like I you know. don't know what to do, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, and you know, maybe this maybe this speaks a little bit to um, that boundary thing that we were talking about earlier. Is like once once those are established, uh, once that's established, you don't really have to think so much about things. It's like there is a natural order to things, you know. And it's not it's not as if you have to follow perfectly this this kind of thing. Like life is dynamic; things come up. Not, not everything's going to be perfect in that respect. But at least you at least you you both agree on on this d dynamic, and that that way you can start working towards you know the shift because that's really what it is. It's like that stalemate you were talking about before just becomes a pattern that you can't figure out how to get out of. And then on top of this, I imagine there's like things that you can start working on. I mean, I, I hear this with, with women that I work with a lot, that one of the challenges that they have at a certain point in their lives is, you know, being in that sandwich period where they have kids and aging parents and a lot of responsibilities with their career. And they often in a caretaking role in their careers <laughs> on top of everything else. And, you know, when they don't get enough support on some, on some level, that's certainly not sexy. So sometimes it's about also about, you know, the layer on top of this is, understanding the love language of that other person and and making sure that you're you know sometimes asking for the support you need that's that's a that's a very challenging thing for for a lot of women to do i find no i think that that's absolutely true and i also find that when the sex life in a couple is going well it is so much easier for them to negotiate a lot of the other parts of their mm. life not always you know but i feel like when the sex is going well it is just you know Women will say to me, they almost use the same term verbatim. It's, they'll say something like, 
if I come home and I see his dirty socks on the floor and we've had good sex, I will scoop them up and throw them in the hamper. If I come home and I see those dirty socks on the floor and we haven't had sex in a long time, I just want to shove them down his throat, <laughs> right? Like some version of that, right? Yeah, like yeah. there is just, that is why I love sex, right? Because I think that it, it allows you to connect. If it's, if it's happening in your life in a normal, happy way, it allows you to connect to somebody in a way you don't connect with other people. And mm -hmm. that allows you to build the partnership, which then I think is often the bridge way to being able to have so many other parts yeah. of your life yeah. be manageable. They're not going to be perfect. Right. You know, division of labor is not going to be perfect. Right. You know, it's never, but, but, you know, I, I'll often say I did not get into this field of sex therapy because I'm so fascinated by body part A and where it splits into body part B. Like yeah, right. I'm interested in what it does to you as a, as an individual and how you feel about yourself and how couples can, it just feels like it makes it easier for couples to negotiate the other more complicated parts of their lives. And there mm -hmm. are so many other complicated, but if you're doing it kind of with an open heart, it just feels like it, it makes it easier. So these things play off each other and I'm, Believe me, if I've come out in any way suggesting that I don't think couples therapy is not important, I do. I think yeah. couples therapy in helping people communicate, express what they need, those things are super, super important. I just think that sex should be an equivalent. It shouldn't be given the minor role of, you know, everything else is really important and sex is kind of like what follows. Yeah. I feel like sex is often sort of the underlying glue or glue is, seems too sticky to me. There's Maybe there's a better... What's the, there's probably a musical term for what's happening in the background that makes everything work better. Uh, I don't know. A vibe. No. <laughs> yes, it's a vibe. No, but, but it's the one, the one thing I, I was just thinking about was how it relates to what, what I do. You know, I'm, I'm touching people's bodies for daily for a living. You know, sometimes they're clothed, sometimes they're unclothed under a sheet. The touch itself... And, and the physical contact begets, you know, easy physical contact for, you know, for me, I'm huggy with all my friends, my kids, my, my, you know, my kids will come in the house and first thing they'll do is come in for a hug. Like that's, that's what, what, what I've sort of stoked, you know, over the years with them. They're just so used to that as, as a natural thing. And I think that's something, maybe there's something there about, you know, even as you were saying, like, you know, naked, naked time might be on a non-sex night because I think sometimes we just do need the physical contact and, and the more comfortable we get with that, with our own bodies and with our own touch and getting, receiving it back leads, I think a lot of times to, to, to sex. You know, it's so interesting. I'm so curious what you think about this it's a little off field and you can just let tell me what thing, but I'm a hugger, right? Like you, I mm -hmm. just hug everybody, my kids, friends, my adult kids, friends, like I hug. A few years ago with the whole Me Too age of consent, like I started getting much like more, like my gut reaction when a friend walks in is to just give them a bear hug. And now I'll always stop and say, is it okay if I hug you? And, yeah. I, you know, and I do that. And part of me feels a little sad. I don't know. Like I, part of me feels like a little bit like, you know, I just, I remember my son when he was, he's 35, but when he was in kindergarten and he would sit on the teacher's lap to read because mm -hmm. he always had like a little attention thing disorder. And I, I feel like today that couldn't happen. I don't know. Like I, I feel sad. I feel like somehow we've lost this ability to just reach out and it touch is. people. It's, it's, it's tricky. I've, I've been coaching my daughter's basketball team and <clears throat> You know, I and and I've coached my my son's nineteen now, but I coached his team when he was younger, or, or I assistant coached. One of the things that would happen a lot of times is that the kids, when they would come off, especially if they if they you know struggled out there for some reason, I would I would be sitting there, and the kids would come and sit on my lap, like after they got taken off. They just needed to they just needed to be grounded for a second, and I and I was you know. Sometimes when it would happen, I, I, one of the things that I would do is, you know, I would sometimes, you know, say something nice to them and say, why don't you come sit next to me? But I would tell the parents, like, you, your child, if it's, if it's the same kid that does it all the time, I'll say, he seems to like to do this during the game. Are you okay with that? Because a lot of times I, I do feel like with, you know, when it comes to like kids and stuff like that, but I also, you know, even, even coaching a girls basketball team, like, are high fives okay? Should I just do fist bumps? You know, and 
You know, they. Some of this is making me so sad. I know. And, I, I, and, and, am I old? I mean, I'm old. I guess. You know, it's like, and and I think, and I do think that you know there is more flexibility there if you are communicating well. And you know, I I treat little kids too. You know, so it's one of the things. A lot of times, little kids. I, and I I treat some kids with like a lot of sensory processing stuff and ADHD and stuff, and they tend to be very emotional. So. When they when they really relax on the table and they get up and they want to they want to hug me sometimes really aggressively, <laughs> you know, and I think that's so I kind of you know I'll I'll if it happens in the session I might send an email out afterwards and say, hey this happened today as I'm, I know as I know you saw want to make sure you're okay with that you know I'm okay with it I, it, it happens regularly right. so that's it's it is I think there's we have reached that point and you know there have been a lot of things that have gone on you know over the years as it relates to me too that we're not culturally we're we're sort of set up for the women to just accept you know like you watch old family feud episodes with Richard Dawson and he's like kissing the, all the women on the mouth and you're like whoa I'm not sure that <laughs> that looks appropriate um but right, I, I yeah I wonder also how this affected because I I I look around I don't you know, I don't see people like my husband and I are holding hands all the time. And we had a hysterical moment. We were crossing 72nd Street. We were holding hands and this woman was coming and she was coming like right between us. So we let go. And she was a young woman. She was like 21. So we let go to go around her. And she was like, don't you dare let go. You put those hands. It was so cute. Don't you put those hands back there. I'm going around you. And my husband and I just started laughing. And But I, you don't see it so much with older couples. And I, I, I feel like, I feel like touching is just, so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, this is amazing, and and you you know, for anyone who wants to get into more specific details, I feel like we had to gloss over a lot of things, and we should probably do another one of these and get into something that's you know r- really specific for anybody who's who's struggling with one of these, and you know, anyone who's listening, if there's something that you'd like to hear more of, let me know. But but I just feel like that you know, to, sometimes to have the overview of of the kinds of challenges and the kinds of things, people can then identify, you know, oh yeah, that's my challenge, you know, and I want to learn more about that. So. Thank you for taking the time to go through this and for all the, I know how much books, how, how much time they take to put together. So thank you for that effort. Thank you so much for having this. It was so much fun. I'm happy to come back anytime to talk to you about anything because uh, I just, it's so nice to find a kindred spirit. Likewise. So fun. So we have to get together in New York sometime too. Both plan that. Yes. Let me know. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. Dr. Batsheva Marcus, folks. So much fun going through all of this with her. Some good frameworks in what she delivers here and in her book, Satisfaction Guaranteed, which you can find in the show notes. And if it's something that you feel like you'd like to learn more about. Also, you can check out her socials. She's making a big splash on TikTok. You can find her there at the Dr. Batsheva. That's T-H-E-D-R-B-A-T-S-H-E-V-A. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me anytime at jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.